Golight presents the Lennon Courtney podcast. Welcome to the Lennon Courtney Archive podcast collection. Enjoy this blast from the past. So, Ellen, thank you so much for joining us today um, for the Lennon Courtney podcast. And this is a very special series because it is called Pearls of Wisdom. And given that you are a semi-aquatic creature, uh, we thought it might be nice to have a chat with you about your own diving for underwater pearls and what you've, I suppose, uncovered as wisdoms in your life. But first of all, for anybody, as Brendan said, living over a rock, under a rock. Sonia, that was the best link ever. <laughs> I love pearls. I can't cope. That was just so good. <laughs> I appreciate it. Just I appreciate it. <laughs> so Ellen Keane, you are a goddess. Um, tell us, for anybody who isn't aware of you and your story, please give us a little sense of your background. Um, so my name is Ellen Keane. I'm an Irish Paralympic swimmer. So I'm 26 now, but I started swimming a long time ago. I was born without my arm missing from below the elbow. and My parents weren't given a reason as to why. It's just one of those things. And thankfully, they didn't treat me any differently to my siblings. They made me get in and do everything the same as them. So that's how I began swimming. And then I started kind of competitive swimming when I was about seven or eight. And I really, really loved it. I loved the competitions. I loved the control. And I loved feeling myself getting stronger and getting better and faster. So that was kind of when I when I really kind of was like, okay, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to commit to swimming. And then all of a sudden, it turns out I was quite talented at it from quite a young age. And I was going to the Paralymp- my first Paralympic Games when I was 13. And that, w- that made me the youngest ever Irish Paralympic athlete at 13. And then I went to London 2012, Rio 2016, where I won my first Paralympic medal, which was a bronze. And then in uh, just a few months ago in Tokyo, I came home with my gold medal. Amazing. Amazing. And I have to ask, so were you a swimming family? No. So my granddad would have been a swimmer. Uh, I think he did like the Liffey swim and stuff, but he died before I was born. So he was the only one in my family that had any swimming background. Like that's my mom's dad. And she didn't get into swimming. And my brothers stopped after the lessons. And I was the only one who kept going. It was so weird because swimming is one of those sports that is quite family orientated because it takes up a lot of time. And a lot of people that I swam with when I was younger always thought that I was an only child with just a dad because it was always like my dad there in the mornings because my mom was at home sorting everyone else out. How many of you are there? So there's me, my two brothers who are twins and my sister who is seven years older than me. And I'm just struck by people thinking you're an only child with your dad. So from early on, was your dad a big supporter of your swimming career? Yeah, like my mom 100% was the same, but it was just because my mom had to stay at home and look after everyone else. My dad ended up traveling with me. Um, My dad would have maybe gone to the gym while I was doing my early morning swims, whereas my mom would have dropped me off and then gone home and done everything else that needed to be done at home. Um, But yeah, my dad was traveling with me from a young age. But when you start to make senior teams and you go away, you don't go away with your family. So you go away with your team. And then that's when they started traveling as a couple and as a family to all of my events. Can I ask you a question? Because you have been pretty um, vocal about how difficult it was to be somebody with difference growing up and how self-conscious you were about your arm and um, 
I, frankly, you hid it. So this this is common knowledge. You've spoken a lot about this. When when you were in the water and you're gifted with natural talent and you amplify that with um, consistent investment. Ellen in the water, even at that early stage, was that a different Ellen to Ellen on dry land? Oh, 100%. Um, I was such a happy kid. So it didn't really start to impact me until maybe I was like, 11, 12, 13, really, um, when I started to notice that I was different and everyone started staring at me. And yeah, when I was in the water, there was nowhere for me to hide. So I didn't care about anyone else. And once I started moving my body and once I started to do my training sessions, I didn't care and I just wanted to get better and faster. And because I didn't care, no one else around me cared. And I wouldn't have swam with uh, people with disabilities. Like my club was an able-bodied club. Um, I did able-bodied competitions. It was only when I was going away to para events that I would be surrounded by people with disabilities. So the people around me on an everyday basis in the pool were so, so used to me. But when it came to being in school, even so I went to my primary school was Belgrove and I was so, so happy there and everyone knew and nobody cared. And then my secondary school was Holy Faith in Clontarf. But the majority of people who went to Belgrove also went to Holy Faith. But I it was almost like as soon as I moved school, I just couldn't deal with the pressures of it it was an all-girls school it's that age where you're so insecure about your body as it is and it's one of these things that I can't change about myself and I'm completely different to everyone else here and I don't want to stick out so even though the majority of the girls already knew I had one arm I, I, I still hit it um and then so I wore sleeves I wore baggy coats and my own literally my only safe haven and my only release was in the water and because there was nowhere to hide and even though I was competing at a high level whenever anyone of my friends mentioned that I was a Paralympic swimmer or I'd been to the Paralympics I would shy away from that quite a lot because that's associated with disability and I was too afraid of it and I was too ashamed of it and I was just didn't want to be rejected um so I I even hid away from that uh and then I went to boarding school after my junior cert and I went to boarding school at the same school as I, I don't know if anyone knows Lauren Stedman she was on Strictly a few years ago and she has the same arm as me and Lauren was just so carefree and open and she didn't care about her arm she just got on with it she was just this amazing bubbly girl and I I, I looked at her and I was like, I want to be like that. And I know I'm capable of being like that, but I just don't know how to do it yet. So when I came back, I went to the Institute for my leaving cert and I started the cycle again of hiding myself and hiding my, my arm and wearing jackets all the time. And it was nearly even easier in the Institute because you wear your own clothes. So the, the heavier the coat, the better the coat. And, uh, I had I'd been there for fifth and sixth year and I remember in sixth year right before one of my poetry classes a boy I'd been friends with throughout my time in the institute he actually he looked at me before the teacher came in and he was like what's wrong with your arm and I was like what do you mean what's wrong with my arm and he was like like did you break it like it it looks a bit weird and you're in your sleeve and I was like oh no I, I just don't have an arm and he was like what and his face fell and literally the blood drained from my body. Like that was the thing I had feared. That was the thing I had worked so hard to avoid. And literally at that moment, the teacher walked in anyway, so I could run up, run to the back of the class. And I literally escaped the whole situation. The whole scenario just ran out as soon as the class was over. So even in, 
even in secondary school, like I just wasn't ready. And I got so sick of it. I got so sick of always putting myself down. And like, I knew deep down, I was so, so capable of being this real happy girl. Like I knew it was in me. And so when I started college on the first day of college, I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to go in. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let it affect me. And I know, I know deep down, I'm going to be dying inside and I'm going to be looking at everyone wondering if they notice, but this is something that I need to do. Uh, And so I did a culinary course as well. So it wasn't even like somewhere I could actually hide my arm. And on the first day of college, I went in, rolled up my sleeves and nobody cared. And one of my, one of my lectures on that day was actually knife skills. So we were in the kitchen and the head chef was showing everyone how to pass a knife safely. And he chose me to demonstrate with, but when you, when you pass a knife safely in a kitchen, you have to swap hands and do all this thing. So I had to do it, but do it my own way. And it was only afterwards when I came up to him to tell him I had one arm and that I might have to do things a bit differently. He was like, Oh my God, I didn't realize until I picked you. And then when you started to do the knife thing, I I wanted to die inside. I felt so bad, but it's funny. Like I've, I've kind of I learned to come out of my shell and I really learned that the whole world doesn't revolve around me and my arm and the people who it does bother like I don't want to be surrounded by people like that and it's nearly become my superpower in a way like it's one of these things I was so ashamed of for so long and I hid for so long but it makes me stand out from the crowd so I'm gonna embrace it I'm gonna I'm gonna learn to love it and I'm going to show everyone my arm because I was so insecure because there's no one like me to compare myself to. So that's why when I get the opportunity to go on TV or be in an ad, I I'm really loud and proud about it because there are kids growing up who don't have anyone to look up to and they don't understand disability. And the more people are exposed to disability, the less likely they are to get a fright or to stare or to judge someone because they're a bit different. I'm really struck. There's a moment that jumps out, which is where you found the strength to not care and you change your environment which I, I can personally relate to as well you go you're right sick of this now I know there's happiness in here I'm just gonna go for it where do you think you got that strength from I'm I'm not sure I just knew that deep down I was capable of being happy and I think it might have been because of Paris sport being surrounded with by people with disabilities all the time and it, throughout my life there's been certain points where I've just been like you know what I'm sick of this I'm sick of like nearly sick of my own shit sort of thing and like I'm in control here I'm the narrator of this story and I get to decide how I react to things so and I knew that it was going to take a while and it was going to take a bit of getting used to but as soon as I did it I just felt so free like on top of being worried or, or on top of wearing big baggy clothes and stuff I was also so anxious all the time so I'm wearing these heavy jackets in the summer I'm anxious that people are going to notice so obviously I am sweating all the time (laughs) and then you're so aware that you're sweating all the time so it's just an ongoing cycle of nerves and anxiety and I just knew that this wasn't this isn't the only way to live there is another way and I just needed to figure it out Ellen, I'm really struck. I mean, we're we're massive fans of yours anyway, as you know. This isn't our first rodeo together. We've been engaged before. Um, I, you know, you had a gorgeous upbringing. You're a talented, happy, beautiful kid. You know, growing up in in um, you know, middle class privilege, all, all of the good stuff. You know, and yet. Um, the the kind of the vestiges of 
society's version of what disability is impacted you so you know in a way you would say well you know it shouldn't have impacted you because of everything and all the support that you had around you um and yet i think society plays a huge role in our expectations around people you know and and I often get, and please, this may be a really stupid question. So please tell me if it is. I often get the impression that people firstly are, well, they are afraid of disability because they're afraid of doing or saying the wrong thing. But I think they also get quite confused about disability in terms of what it actually means. And and sort of sometimes I see people interacting with people with physical disabilities as though they have um, an intellectual disability, and 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 it, it, there seems to be this kind of um, very fluid, sort of nebulous idea of what disability is in our society. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, and I think that was maybe one of the reasons why it affected me so much. I didn't want because I had the narrative as well that being disabled means that you are less than, and you're going to be looked down on, and you're going to be left out, and people aren't want to get to know you, and. I was aware of that. So yeah, 100%. So that's why I feel so responsible to kind of help change that narrative. And I'm also in a an awkward position. I know I've also always felt a little bit awkward as well, because when people think of physical, when people think of disabilities, they think of physical disabilities for one. And they also think of like really extreme disabilities. So wheelchair users, people who can't walk, aren't mobile, um, people with hearing impairments, people with visual impairments and other disabilities kind of are weird or forgotten about or aren't as accepted. So even someone who might have cerebral palsy, who uh, really, really um, light cerebral palsy and might walk with a little bit of a limp, they might be even more judged or looked down on than someone in a wheelchair because the people have accepted wheelchair users where they haven't really accepted other disabilities yet. And it's such a shame. Like, and I try to be an advocate for people with disabilities as much as I can, but I, I am aware that I am not as disabled as a lot of people, but I, I have to find, I've always kind of felt a little bit weirdly left out that I am disabled but I'm not disabled but I'm not able-bodied and I'm somewhere in between and I've also been told like I'm not disabled enough so many times I've been told I'm not disabled enough um and so many times I've been told that I'm too disabled to do things and people like I'm a I'm an elite athlete it's my job to be strong and to be mobile and to be able to do things and I'll go into a shop and someone like I for example I had to buy a scooter and I picked up the scooter and it was one of those really big ones and it was quite heavy and I picked it up walked to the to the checkout and was paying for it and the girl was like do you want help bringing that to the car and I was like oh no I'm fine and she just kept insisting and I literally was like I picked it up and I brought it to the checkout I'm pretty sure I can walk out the door to the car which is about five meters away and it's those things that really annoy me um but yeah like it's I have been given a platform because of my sport and because of the situation that I've been in and as you said I have come from a privileged background and I a lot of people with disabilities don't have a voice. So I feel like if you're in this position where you are getting the attention and you do have the opportunity, you have to use your voice. And even if you don't want to, like I don't personally want to be the person on the billboards and I personally don't want to be the forefront of it all, but someone has to do it and no one has been doing it. So I, I have to do it. That's amazing, Ellen. I, I, I like it's so inspiring, you know, that you take your responsibility as as somebody with a profile and a voice so seriously, even in the face of you not particularly wanting to do it. <laughs> 
and yeah like it's it, it can be quite hard like my at the end of the day my job is to swim fast that's that's my job that's my number one priority and then I also have this kind of weight on my shoulders that I have to tell the story I have to try and make a difference and I can I can feel that weight a lot of the time and I get a lot of dms a lot of people wanting me to do things and there's only so much that I can do um and I I feel the guilt I feel so guilty that I can't do everything for everyone um, and I can't help everyone but I'm just trying to do the best that I can do without letting it affect my sport. That's really interesting because by your own success, you have created this enormous platform, a global platform. And, and yeah, with that comes that incredible burden. So hats off to you. It, it can't be easy because it's global, you know, and that's massive. And, and there's great pride in you as well. So there's that pressure as well. And so there's a lot of pressure in there I imagine, for a young brain, you know? Yeah, that's it what happens I, when you're the best in the world, Ellen. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we want to know your pearls of wisdom, what you've learned through your incredible elite journey. And I also going to throw another question in there. Uh, we need uh, we need your top dinner with your culinary skills. See you in a sec. And we're back. So I can only imagine that the regime that you go through on an ongoing basis to be, like I said, the best in the world must be intense. And the learnings that are transferable to everyday life must be huge. What, what, what are the pieces that carry you through every waking moment? And on that, before we get into that, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. I have it. Do you want to see it? Yes! <laughs> Oh my God! Amazing. I mean, I have to say, I heard you on. I heard you straight after you won, and then I heard you on Ryan, and I teared up. I just was so proud. It's just so weird, and I really don't know you that well, but it's just such a wonderful achievement. Congratulations! Oh, thank you. The way you spoke about it with such gratitude and such awareness. uh, It's beautiful. It's a really. I mean, people just could not be happier for you, which is lovely as well. Oh, that's so sweet. And it's honestly, it's taken so long to get here. So my first games was in 2008 and I kind of had the expectation and people telling me what my potential was and what I was capable of for so long. But I was also battling this inner dialogue that I'm not good enough and my body isn't good enough and all the shame that I carried around for the bulk of my teenage years. I was also dealing with that while being an elite athlete. And it's only now that like, as I've gotten older and as I reflect on things and get a different perspective that I realize the reason why I couldn't reach my potential for so long is because I had to go through all of those things and I had to learn how to love myself for one and, and be kind to myself and all of the negative things that I was saying to myself throughout those years, I was you can't just flip a switch and then expect to stand up and compete and be the best in the world and have all these positive thoughts all of a sudden no I had trained myself to be so negative and so down towards myself and for the past like for a number of years anytime I raced I would I would think other people were better than me I would think it was impossible for me to race this person it was impossible for me to beat this person and um Sophie the girl that I was racing against who came second in the event she never gets beaten she's world number one in everything that she does she's a world record holder and when I actually beat her it it nearly just it was it wasn't even a relief it was kind of just like a I find it was like a moment of growth for me it was kind of like I knew I could do this I just needed to figure it out. And I've spent all these years figuring it out and learning to love myself and learning to be kind to myself 
that I finally was able to reach my potential. Um, and it's it's so weird because uh, I listen to music in the collar room. So the collar room is the place you go before you race. And I would listen to a lot of like Eminem, like trying to get in the zone and be really focused. And my playlist actually ran out right before I walked out. So do you know on Spotify sometimes it will then start playing random things? So it started playing Katy Perry unconditionally, which is kind of like, a love song where it's like I love you unconditionally and I was listening to that but I took it as I was telling myself that and it was nearly like I walked out and I was like whatever happens I love you no matter what happens I love you (laughs) I'm getting emotional about it now but and like that's why when I finished I was just so calm because it was like I finally did it and I knew I could do it and now like what else can I do it's just so a mind mind-blowing mind-blowing you're you and in a way what you said yes to to be the person you are now you have to go through that because there's an amazing amount of wisdom there that I think I I don't have that that level or insight that level of wisdom because that you seem to compact it so much into your short you know your young life so it's really fascinating to hear you talk so I have to ask is there a book on the way Maybe when I retire, <laughs> I was, I was always, I always thought that maybe Tokyo would be my last games. And when I was out in Tokyo and I was competing, I had kind of uncovered this new way of competing and I loved it so much that I, I couldn't, I couldn't walk away so soon. So I will go on to Paris. I will commit myself to three more years and whatever happens on that journey happens and it will be part of the book. <laughs> and, and is that new way of competing the mindset piece? Do, do you feel that that unlocked or was there a physical aspect to that? No, it was definitely a mindset piece. It was telling myself that I've done everything that I can possibly do. And it's about trusting yourself. Um, I, I listened, I am a Sky Sports scholar and we were at an event once and Johnny Nelson said something that stuck with me for, for ever since he said it, it stuck with me. And it was, um, don't hope for success, expect success and expect greatness. So live every day as if you're great. And so when it came to competing, I just knew I'd done everything that I I had to do. And I could I can be quite an emotional person. And it was nearly like taking away the emotion from it and just knowing this is just a job. I'm good at what I do and I just need to do the job. So going forward, it's nearly about taking the romance of sport out of it and just seeing it in black and white. And this is what I need to do. And this is what I'm going to do. And I think we sometimes overthink things and overcomplicate things. And it's that simple. It's that straightforward. It's just, here's the job, do the job. And I think I can, I can put that into everything I do now in life is just don't overcomplicate it. I love the idea that um, negative emotions are actually, um, I suppose, an Achilles heel for us all, you know, that they, they trip us up so many times Um positive emotions do different hormonal things in our body than negative ones do, you know? And when we're in that kind of, uh, you know, we call it the the chimp phase where you're really just fight, flight or freeze. You can't, you can't be strategic. You can't be your best self if, if you're in that mindset, you know, and I love the idea that you just unhitched it, you know, pearls of wisdom. how, How do you begin to, to, to change that mindset mindset and what are the kind of rituals and routines around that for you? I think the number one thing is to recognize that your thoughts play a big role in everything that you can do, everything you do, but your thoughts are just these bits of information that come into your brain and you can actually control them. So 
even a few days before my event, I didn't actually know that Sophie was going to swim that event because sometimes she does, sometimes she doesn't. And then I saw her on the start list and I was like, I panicked that day that I saw her on the start list. I panicked. I was like, oh, God, how am I going to beat her? I started questioning it all. And then I stopped and I told myself, no, take a step back. Think about this. You've done the work. Whatever happens, happens. And I think that's what we need to do. We just need to realize that thoughts, we can control our thoughts. We can program our thoughts to, to think and say what we want them to say and tell, we can tell ourselves how we want to feel. And going forward, if you're in a bad mindset and you're, and you're struggling to get to that point, what I tend to do is, I know this is really cheesy, but I go onto YouTube and I look up motivational videos and there's motivational videos for every aspect of life. And even just watching one of them for two minutes of your day can really change your mind and can really motivate you to have a good day or to do something in your day or motivate you to try something that you've never tried before and it's honestly it's just about being present and then the other the other thing that I learned was the power like technology can be so helpful in life but it can also be such a hindrance so my routine in Tokyo was I'll turn off my phone an hour before I go to bed I say goodnight to everyone. I don't want anyone interfering with my sleep. And that gave me so much rest, so much recovery. And so it made me be in the presence so much. And I think we nearly feel obliged to constantly be on social media and constantly updating people on our lives. But we don't have to. We can have a time of the day that we do that and then do it. It's done. Walk away. You're not a slave to your phone. And I think a lot of us are. I I turned off my notifications and my ringer five, two, three years ago now. And I've never turned them back on. I've never looked back. And it really has given me, I'm I'm, I'm going to take your advice. So tonight I'm going to turn it off an hour before I go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll be surprised at how much more tired you are going to bed as well. I have a a, a very busy mother who rings at six in the morning. So sometimes I do put it on. Do not disturb. So I'm kind of, but I'm, I'm struck by something that you said there. And you know, you describe it as cheesy going on to watch motivational, but that's actually a choice. That's making a choice to change your frame of mind. That's brilliant advice. That's a brilliant pearl of wisdom. Make a choice, find whatever you can to change that, your frame of mind, to bring you even just into a positive. And you have even, by the very action that you've made that choice, you've started the process into a better yeah. frame of mind. Genius. Thank you. It's all it's just, the best in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's about just recognizing what you're in control of and what you're not in control of and what you're not in control of. You shouldn't even give a thought to because you can't change anything about that. And that's what I really worked on before Tokyo. And I, I implemented in Tokyo was controlling everything that I could that was in my control. And the pandemic itself really taught me that. I, my, The pool was taken away from me for three months. I wasn't able to train. I had to adapt. I had to figure out what I could control. And that's where you get confidence. It's knowing you're doing everything that you can possibly do to be happy, healthy, successful. Okay, really cheesy question alert. What would the, be the one pearl of wisdom you would say to that young girl who was you hiding her arm in secondary school? I think it would be to realize that what makes you different is what makes you special and it's your superpower going forward. It has 100% has been my superpower. And even like when I meet people now, I know that they're not going to forget me because I'm the girl with one arm. How often do people meet girls with one arm? (laughs) Not that often, I presume. Um, And it's just embracing it and loving yourself. And when you, when you love yourself and what makes you different, 
you'll be so surprised at like the atmosphere you create around yourself and how much more responsive people will be to you. And I think that that when I was in that bad place and when I was really down about my arm, that's why everyone else was uncomfortable around me because I was uncomfortable with myself. And it's about loving yourself and then people will follow. I have two quick fire questions that won't take long before I pass over to Esther this question to to round out our wonderful interaction. First one, is it true you went to Skull Stars? I heard an urban legend that you um, attended Scully Connell GAA Club. Oh, I did. I don't know what Skull Stars is though. I was Skull Stars is a program that they do for for kids with difference, physical and uh, intellectual. um, No, I didn't know this was a thing. uh I think it's pretty new. That's why it didn't make sense to me um, because I think it's pretty new, but it's an amazing program that they have um, for for kids with disability of all different types. Um, Yeah, it's incredible. And the second question, because I promised I'd ask it is, we're all coming around to Ellen's house for dinner. What's on the menu? Oh, I love pasta. So it would be have to have to be some form of pasta, a little bit of chorizo, white sauce. Yeah. On our way. Esther, my darling, are you ready? I'm ready. The mic is on. Are you ready, Ellen? Are you ready, Brandon and Sonia? It's always a good one. You know, a few weeks ago, I happened to be away. You were on TV3 and there was a young girl. I don't know if she was only maybe she was even four. But it was interesting, like you say, you know, you feel guilty because you can't do this, do that. But I think just by being visible, I mean, for that little kid, she doesn't really get the like, the, you know, what how the world works. And just probably just you're just being out and about and showing yourself and just seeing that, oh, if that grown up can do that with one arm, just like me. I mean, it was really it was really moving. Me and my friend were like, oh, in this Airbnb, we're like, oh, my God. I mean, it was ridiculously gorgeous. Did you watch it as well? Yeah. People must cry wherever you go, Alan. It's like people are overwhelmed. I was actually in the park the other day and there was a little boy with one arm. But it's like, I almost feel like I want to go say hi. But I'm like, that's a bit weird. An adult in a park <laughs> going to say hi to some kid she doesn't know. So I'm really like, I have to hold myself back sometimes. Long distance wave. The one arm <laughs> wave, I think, is the answer. Yeah. The little one arm salute. Yeah, the two, you'll know each other. You're like, there you go. And, and, and one more question is, what did you do when you had no access to a pool during the first bit of the pandemic what does a swimmer do when she can't swim oh cycle and it's awful <laughs> um whole whole new respect towards cyclists now I had to get a stationary bike and I was out the back for uh, an hour and a half to two hours every day on a bike just cycling away really yeah yeah and it was so it was so hard because I was alone like I I didn't have my teammates around me I didn't have my coach so what me and my teammates did uh one of them in particular we would set up a zoom every morning at 10 a.m and we would zoom each other while we cycled and we could have been doing different things but like we said 10 a.m because that got us out of bed like it was hard it was so hard during the first pandemic to even force yourself to get up and um that's how how we got each other through it Ellen Keane, you are a doyen, a goddess. We love you. You are a national icon and a hero. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, guys. It's been so much fun. Thank you, Ellen. Okay, so this is the part of the show that we that we call stay on and listen to us talking shite or hang up if you want. But we will now discuss the wonderful experience that was Ellen Keane. Uh, and before we go into the wonderful space that was Ellen King, it's not talking shite shite. I mean, it's, it's, no, no, good it's shit. shite shite, but it's it's our world. It's kind of it's, it's, it's our, our inter- shite, and we're going to own it. Our internal dialogue made external. That's the point. I mean, what's not to love about Ellen, right? So we we not knew knew Ellen, but but we we spoke to Ellen before um, she became like really superstar famous um, for being the best in the world because we um, we sent her one of our frocks and 
she oh, she's just so gorgeous and so fabulous and she wore it and she looked absolutely amazing and and I think what she talks about kind of being visible and and sort of the toll that that takes on her I think that's really laudable isn't it it's it's um you know well we don't think about it like that because we kind of enjoy lending our voice to things well we've we've grown into it we've been given the freedom to fall over drunk and the freedom to fail and succeed and we've the freedom to rent and then buy we've we've had experiences that meant we can put our voice in a position we weren't forced into it we weren't our body didn't make sure that we had to talk about this particular area of our life so it's it's very very admirable to also not be able to be able to step away from it it's very interesting because she said something really inspiring that actually Sinead Burke said to me once which I thought that's so intuitive she said as Ellen said yesterday, you don't forget me when you meet me because mm. how many girls do you meet with one arm? And that's so powerful to be aware of that. But mm-hmm. it's also, I think, quite a weight to carry it's mm-hmm. for such a young mind and such a young sports focused, one agenda to win, swim fast, but all this other stuff comes with it. So, you know, I think the hard stuff at the beginning makes the strength of the character that is now. Yeah, and she really kind of sang from our hymn book in terms of thoughts are choices as well, you know, choices that we make in response to what happens to us. And, you know, that that all sounds very kind of self-helpy, but I, I, I think... I think it is true, you know, we're, we're, we're a product of our responses, not our experiences. We're also a product of our upbringing in that she knew that there was a happy girl in there. Isn't that, I thought that was such a gorgeous thing to say. Yeah, I knew she was there and I knew and it was capable. And I knew it was capable of that. And then to also use fearlessly use the word aware of her own privilege of that. So she's so smart. I mean, she blew me away. She's just you leave a conversation with her kind of thinking Fizzy. And, and, glo- and glowing. Yeah, she's amazing. So if you if you were to win Here's the thing. I only found out the other day that um, there used to be Olympics for the arts. So Jack B. Yates. I would win. Won a silver medal for painting in the in the first Olympics after the Free State. So he won the first ever Olympic medal in Ireland. Right. Well, I can tell you in 1984, I have bronze in the badminton doubles in the Kingswood Community Centre summer summer camp. That's amazing, Bren. That is amazing. I didn't want to tell you that because I didn't want to make you feel inferior. Well, that, that's, <laughs> the, that's the net result of, of, of this part of our conversation now. I'm going to skulk into the corner and lick the back of my hand and cry a little bit. But apart from that, so if you could win an oh, shut up now. I know what you're gold medal for the, <laughs> for, the, for the competitions that are currently within. Oh, I know what you're going to say. What would you like to win a, an Olympic gold medal for? In art or in sport? No, in sport, as it is right now. Oh, I hate sport. So oh, come on, I, I know the answer. I know what's in your head and you haven't even accessed that file. Running? No. Dancing? No. Is that a sport? <laughs> <laughs> Animal flow? I don't know. What? Synchronized swimming. Oh, yes. <laughs> I tried to put together a synchronized swimming team. I, my friends let me down so bad. I've cast it aside. <laughs> About 10 years ago, I saw the film Cool Runnings and it was about a Jamaican sledgeball team and, and they got through. And then there was the Eddie the Eagle who got through because it's amateur. So Olympics is amateur. I was like, we should do an all male gay synchronized swimming Can we take a moment, we take a moment to discuss sledgeball? <laughs> What's it called again? Cool Runnings. 
was <laughs> <laughs> whatever. But the movie's called Cool Runnings. And it was very clever. So they saw a way into the Olympics, much like <laughs> played by a very um, talented, what's his name? Tagan. Taggerton. Taron Egerton. Taron Egerton. But he played Eddie the Eagle brilliantly in the movie. Eddie the Eagle. So I was inspired by Eddie the Eagle and Cool Runnings to set up Ireland's first all-male gay synchronized. I don't know why it had to be gay. I don't know where I got that from. I think I, that's what I thought. They'd be, they'd be easy pickings in the gay clubs for the people who wanted to be. And we even had Jane Shortall who was going to choreograph the routine. And I said, have you ever done it in a swimming pool? And Jane was like, yeah, it's the same thing. A load of dead drag queens at the end of Kulak swimming baths after the first training session. (laughs) You have literally lit up my afternoon with that. And I actually love the fact that I had access to the compartment in your brain in which that lived before you did. I genuinely tried to do that. I, 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 I rounded them up and they were like, shut up. Eventually, when I pitched it to my friend, they were like, no, we're not. Come on. I was like, you'd be brilliant. They were like, no, go away. <laughs> anyway, thanks for inspiring that, Ellen Keane. <laughs> I'm going to go for ice skating. I'm going to go for ice skating. I know you were going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> you should just do roller skating. You'd only hurt yourself in the ice. <laughs> thanks for the support. <laughs> but you're good on roller skates. I just, oh, yeah, whatever. Thanks. <laughs> oh, you're not bad. At, did I see you on ice? Did I see? Have you seen you on ice? <laughs> If anybody in England's yes. listening to this, this I is a thro- I throw my hand at anything, as you well know. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, oh dear do you know what? Happy Friday, everybody. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that can't make the edit in case you're, it's a Monday and you're miserable. It's okay. Well, then, no, because it's... even if it's a Monday when you're listening or a Tuesday or Wednesday, you can have that Friday feeling that you've just given me. Me and my hair suit, drag queen friends, <laughs> synchronized swimming in our 50s. There you go. There's a thought. Okay. That'll, take, that'll take you out of yourself. Bye-bye. <laughs> The Lennon Courtney podcast is an Exceed Potential production. Episodes are produced by EOMD Productions and social media is managed by Judy Gartland. Follow at Lennon Courtney on all social media platforms for the latest news and updates. New episodes are released every Thursday. (laughs) 